Well, good morning again. We're, uh, we are going to be in John chapter 11, or sorry, 12 today. If you want to open to that, that's where we're going to be. We are taking a couple weeks off of uh, our series. Since it's, you know, Palm Sunday and Easter time, um, you know, I was tempted just to roll through and see if you guys noticed, but I decided we probably should take the time to reflect uh, on some things that, that we usually commemorate this time of year, which is Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. So we're going to do that. We are today going to be looking at something that occurred uh, likely on Palm Sunday, but not actually what, what it gets its namesake from, right? So Palm Sunday gets its namesake from the palm branches that were laid before Jesus as he's coming into Jerusalem. After that scene, at least in John, directly after that scene, we have Jesus, we have the scene where, where some Greek-speaking people, some Greek people, which are non-Jewish people, not necessarily from Greece, but non-Jewish people are in Jerusalem. It's very, very possible that they were what would be called God-fearers at that time, which was Jewish proselytes, like they came to Judaism and they, they came to entrust their lives to the God Yahweh, even though they were not Jewish by birth. So it's very, very possible that, that these guys were those people who were in town for the Passover. Uh, it's also possible that they were just some travelers that were coming through uh, the area. But what we know is they want to seek, uh, they're seeking out Jesus. They want to talk to Jesus. They want to hear from Jesus. And Jesus takes some time to, to, to spend time with them, to spend time uh, teaching them. And at least in John, this is Jesus' last public teaching that he does. Uh, and he does it for these, these non-Jewish people, which, which says a couple things. Uh, one of those things is uh, uh, the Messiah that the Jews thought were, was going to be uh, almost exclusively for their, uh, their pur- use for their purposes, right? Their king, their conqueror, is actually offering himself to all men, right? And he'll, he'll talk about that, actually. And that he cares about all men, and that he cares about the salvation of all mankind, not just the Jewish people. Um, even though he used the Jewish people in a very unique way for a, for a very specific purpose, for a very specific time, uh, and likely will use uh, Jewish people in the future to accomplish very specific tasks that he has in the end times, he wants all men to come to him. And so uh, he gives this last uh, section of teaching right before or at least of public teaching, right before he goes into a long set of teaching that he does with his disciples. And so we're just going to look at really uh, his, sort of his last public words that he gives to, um, to uh, these people on this day. So let me pray for us and we'll get into this. Lord, we are, um, again, thankful just to be together this morning. We're thankful to be able to, uh, to celebrate this time of year to be able to reflect on these words that you left uh, with this Gentile audience. And we are a Gentile audience, most of us. And so we want to hear from you. We want to hear the truths that you you gave 2,000 years ago. Uh, We want to hear them today and make them fresh for us, make them um, 
things that we don't harden ourselves to, uh, even though there were many in, his, in Jesus' time and your time that would have, uh, have hardened themselves. Lord, we don't want to harden ourselves to these truths. We want to respond to them. Even if we need a complete shift in our life, Lord, we want to make that shift, uh, if that shift is for you. And so uh, help us to see what you're saying here. Help me to kind of get out of the way and, and speak uh, clearly about these, these uh, words th- that you gave and that you would just be honored in our lives this morning. So I pray this all in your name. Amen. So keep in mind, these are these Gentile people coming saying, hey, uh, Jesus, we want to learn from you. And this is what happens. Jesus answered them saying, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. He starts by saying the hour has come, which is very, very interesting because one of the themes in John that he picks up about things that Jesus said is Jesus saying many, many, many times, it's not the hour. It's not the time. We can see uh, John uh, 7, he says, my time is not yet here, but your time is always opportune. A couple of verses later, he says, go up to the feast yourselves. I do not go up to the feast because my time has not yet fully come. Later on uh, in that same chapter, he says, they, they were seeking to seize him, but no man laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. God was orchestrating these events and it wasn't time. In John 8, it says, These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, and no one seized him because his hour had not yet come. Now we have Jesus saying, The hour has come. This is the right time. This is the right timing in my life, in my ministry. This is exactly how God has laid out that this would occur. And that that the Son of Man be glorified. Which is interesting because the word glorified really is about, in some ways, showing off who you are, right? When, when Tom Brady throws the football on the football field, he is glorifying himself, right? He's demonstrating his ability, his glory. When uh, Beyonce sings a song, right? She, her voice is demonstrating uh, her ability, her, her um and get, she gets glory for that. She gets praise. She gets applause, right? And now he's saying, now it's, it's time for me to be glorified. But we all know what's coming, right? We all know what's about to happen is he's about to, to experience quite a bit of suffering and pain and shame and, and putting, be, being put up on a cross with criminals. Only criminals hung from crosses, and now he was going to be named with them. Glorifying? Time for him to be glorified? Like, this seems weird. Hey, everybody, check this out. I'm about to get arrested and go to jail and, and be put up on the cross. Woo! What is that? Well, what it is is that his purpose was for coming to this earth was finally going to be revealed. The curtain was going to be pulled back, and everyone in all the world would be able to see who he was and what he was about. And unfortunately, why he came was to suffer and die. Why he came was to pay the penalty for our sin. And that was the glory of this week. Which is what he says when he says, a, um, 
I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Now, we don't have a lot of uh, sense of this since we're not an agricultural society. Most of us, any farmers in the room? Anybody? No? Uh, yeah. Uh, I, uh, I feel like I've become a rancher this week. We just got three goats. Whoa, that's been a, a, an experience. Um, but uh, I've never been a farmer. My, my grandpa was a farmer, an alfalfa farmer. And so I've been on alfalfa farms. I actually lived with them for a little while. But something I think we can all at least understand, even though we're not farmers, is that uh, you have a grain of wheat, right? One stalk of, of wheat, one head of wheat. And unless that stalk dies, it's not going to reproduce itself, right? It's got to, the, the, the seeds have got to fall off, the grains have got to fall off, and, it, and then it will produce additional, um, those kernels will produ- produce additional stalks of grain, right? We get how farming works. So if it stays like this, it's one stalk, right? But if it's, each stalk of wheat contains five heads of grain, which each of those five heads of grain contain 22 kernels each, okay? We're doing some math here. So this one head of grain can produce 110 new stalks of grain, but it has to die first, right? And if you take those 110 stalks of grain, which each have five heads of grain and 22 kernels in each head, then you get 12,100 stalks of grain. And if those 12,100 stalks of grain all die and, and uh, those five heads of grain from each produce 22 kernels each, you get 1,331,000 stalks of grain. And suddenly you have a field of grain. But it all has to start with that one stalk dying to produce this field of gold. What Jesus is revealing is the redemptive nature of his role in the world. That if he died, that it would actually reproduce, and, and, and one man would reproduce thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions, tens of millions, hundreds of millions of righteous people. And we're a part of that. We're a part of his field. But he had to die. Look at verse 25. It says, He who loves his life loses it. And he who hates his life in this world will keep it to eternal life. Do you see how he's focusing on his role in the world? But then he quickly shifts to our role in the world. Right? He's like, I have to die. This grain of uh, this uh, stock of wheat has to fall and die in order to reproduce itself. But in the same way, you also have to lose your life. I'm dying to show you how to die too. Now, is he talking about physical death? It's possible, but, but that's not what he's, you know, you might have to physically die to do this, but that's not really what he's talking about. He's talking really about dying to yourself, prioritizing the affections in your life, identifying the priorities in your life. 
Do you care more about this life or the next life? And if you care more about this life, you're going to hold on to this life with everything that you are, and you're actually just going to end up losing your life. Do you live your life for this life, or do you live your life for the next life? If, if you choose to live your life for this life, then it's going to be like um, sands through an hourglass. Your time's just running out. You're trying to hold on to those sands with everything you can, and it's just going to slip right through your fingers, because that's the way life works. But if you care more about the next life, if your life here is about the next life, that's stuff you can never lose. That's stuff that's eternal. So he's really challenging us. He was challenging them. Are you holding on to this life or are you holding on to the next life? Sure, hold on to this life. Most people do. Lots of people do. Hold on to it with all you can. But it's just going to slip through your fingers. You're just going to lose it. Then he says in 26, he says, If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there my servant will also be. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. What's interesting is the first two words he uses. Keep in mind, he's talking to a non-Jewish audience primarily. And he says, if anyone, right? He's making it very, very clear that there are no uh, cultural divisions here. There are no ethnic divisions here. There are no gender divisions here. That these, that there is no division. That it's all mankind. It's anyone who serves me must follow me. Now this is, I think, a pretty straightforward, easy to understand statement. But I have found personally in my life that there are many people who can't take this statement on its face. He's clearly saying, if you serve me, if that's who you claim to be, if you claim to be a servant of mine, you must follow me. You must do what I do. Are you his servant? Well, if you're his servant, do you follow him? Do you tend to to follow your own heart, your own leanings, your own inclinations in life, or do you follow him? His servants follow him. It's a pretty plain statement. Can we all agree? Like, that's just what they do. That's what servants of Christ do. They follow him. But what's crazy to me is somehow we've convinced ourselves in this world, I don't know why, uh, I think we get fooled about a lot of things, but we've convinced ourselves that I can somehow be his servant and not follow him. Like, that doesn't make any sense. His servants follow him. That's what they do. I know what our words say sometimes, but does it, do, our li- do our lives say that? Do our lives say that we're followers of him? Notice that his servants don't say they follow him. His servants follow him. That's just what they do. Do you go wherever he goes? Well, no, I really tend to do my own thing in life. But that's not what servants do. Servants follow him wherever he leads. When I think about this, this concept, I, oh, this illustration always comes to my mind because I'm surrounded by it all the time. 
Our two dogs love Melissa. Wherever Melissa goes, the dogs go. All, it, it doesn't matter where they go in the house, uh, where she goes in the house, they are right behind her all the time. We're, she's uh, sitting in bed, the dogs are sitting on the bed, I'm sitting in bed too, she gets up, they get up. She walks out, they walk out, right? Wherever she is, they are. This is what a servant is. Servant goes, wherever he is, that's where I want to be. I'm going to follow him wherever he wants me to go. And I'm going to hate this life and love the next life. Now, keep in mind, hate in this context doesn't mean to despise this life, to go, oh, everything about this life is just terrible. You might have moments like that. You, you might be in one of those moments right now where it's like, man, life is just not good right now. But that's not what he's saying. He's talking about priorities. A love for him that makes everything else pale in comparison. That's what he's talking about. Dying to this life to live for the next life. Sacrificing your life for his life. And you will bear eternal fruit. You will affect eternal consequences in the world. You will have eternal purposes for your life, not temporary purposes. Point out your hand out if you want to put it in there. Is Jesus gave up his life so that we would give up ours. Jesus gave up his life so that we would give up ours. He was the example to follow. He was supposed to be the first of many to give up their lives. Let's keep going. Second little section of what he says starts with this. Now my soul has become troubled. For what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this purpose, I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. He says, my soul has become troubled, uh, which is a very um, mild way to say the word that he's saying. Uh, this is a word that means um, shaken, internally stirred up and, and, and disturbed, like deeply disturbed. There's clearly emotional pain and stress going on in Jesus's life this week. It starts here and it only intensifies. By the time you get to Gethsemane, the, the night before he uh, is, dies, um, the, the writers, Matthew and Mark, both add that he says, I am troubled to the point of death. Like, I'm so deeply distressed that I could just die. This is what he's feeling. It's not good. This was not an easy experience for him. So many times, I think to our own detriment, we look at Jesus as like Superman, right? Impervious to any sort of emotional pain or stress or even physical pain. Like, he, he's, just, he's just impervious to all that. No, he was a human just like you and me. He had, he had emotional vulnerabilities like we have emotional vulnerabilities. He had physical vulnerabilities like we have physical vulnerabilities. And he is clearly distraught because he knows what this week is going to culminate in. But, he's, but look at what he says. He says, should I say, Father, save me from this hour? 
Should I ask my father to get me out of this moment? Because this really is a painful, stressful moment in my life. But for this purpose, I came to this hour. See, if he was going off of his own emotional impulses and how he was feeling in the, in the moment, he probably would escape from it, would want to escape from it. He clearly has a desire in his feelings to escape from it, but he knows he needs to submit himself to the will of the Father. He knows that's what he's there for. He knows he's living for eternal purposes, not temporary purposes. He's, he knows he's living in such a way that he doesn't, he doesn't need this emotional pain to go away if he can accomplish eternal things. We live in such a culture, in such a world, that we are constantly trying to make ourselves emotionally okay. We don't have to be emotionally okay. One of the things that I've been talking to uh, some high school students about recently is this idea that they have that until you love yourself, you can't love others. And love yourself basically means feel good about yourself, right? Emotionally get in a good place where you're kind of buttoned up and good to go. I, was, I did not feel good about myself probably all of my teenage years. I mean, maybe there were moments or whatever, right? But you, you always kind of just have this insecurity. And like if you're waiting for that to come, you're never going to love people, right? Instead, if we go, you know what? Regardless of my own pain and hurt and suffering that I'm experiencing in life, I can still choose to live for God's purposes. I can still choose to live for eternal things. Independent of how I'm feeling. Jesus is giving us that example. He says, Father, here's, here's my life. It's yours. Glorify your name. That's what I'm living for. He's, he has this willingness to die to bear fruit in us. He's clearly demonstrating hating this life, right? Deprioritizing his life and even his emotional state for eternal life. Submitting to his Father's will, following his lead, pursuing his purposes, his glory at his own expense. Then a voice came out of heaven. I have both glorified it and will glorify it. In this moment, God is just reiterating the reality of Jesus' life. That God had been, that the Father had been glorified in Jesus' life up to this point. And that there's no question that, that the Father was going to be glorified in what was coming this week and after. And so God speaks from heaven to make that clear. Look at how the crowd responds. So, so, so the crowd of people who stood by and heard it, were saying that it had thundered. Others were saying an angel has spoken to him. It's interesting because same crowd of people, you have some people who hear it and they're like, hey, did you hear thunder? And you had other people who went, hey, that was an angel, right? So something's going on here. I'm not going to, you know, say what's going on here because I don't know that it's super clear, but clearly there's two responses to what's, what's happening here in this moment. Maybe it has something to do with the condition of their heart. Maybe it has to do with, you know, them being hard of hearing. Or I don't know. I don't know what it is. But there's, there's two responses. We know what happened. God spoke from heaven, right? And they obviously heard something. Look what Jesus says. 
says, Jesus answered and said, this voice has not come for my sake, but for your sakes. Now judgment is upon the world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. He's like, that voice, which by the way was a voice, not thunder, people, right? Um, that voice was for you. They were, it was the Father's words for you. This just continues John's focus on uh, Jesus' divinity and God's uh, affirmation of Jesus' divinity. You see, if you read the book of John, it's all over the place. John really wants to make a point of this. Um, in fact, the context in which John is writing, uh, he needs to make a point of this. He sees a need within the culture at this time. He's writing toward the end of the first century. They needed to see Jesus' divinity. They needed to understand Jesus' divinity. They needed to understand that, that he was truly God's son. And so the, the, the father says, hey, or Jesus says, hey, uh, the, these words from the father are for you guys to see me the way you should see me. That you should see that there's actually three realities that are about to happen. He, he mentions them here. The first is that, that, he, that judgment is coming upon the world. That because of our sin, and we will, you know, if you read a little farther, you'll see this. Because of our sin, an innocent man is killed. An innocent man dies. The greatest man to ever live, the best man to ever live, uh, the last one who should ever have to endure uh, any sort of suffering, definitely not the suffering of others, is this man. But because of you and because of me, he goes to the cross, which speaks judgment upon us. I don't know, I think we can all relate to this, but maybe you can't. I don't know if you can relate to your actions causing pain and suffering in the life of someone else. I know I can. That speaks judgment on me, right? That I would do that and it would cause that end in that person's life. That hurt, that pain, that suffering. It speaks judgment on me. That's what he's talking about here. This world is under judgment. This judgment is going to come. You're going to see it. It's going to be really, really clear. The second thing is he says the ruler of this world will be cast out. Satan's fate is sealed. He will be cast out. Now, we haven't experienced that yet. It's coming. It's future, right? But it's not a question at this point. It's, it's signed, sealed, delivered. It's going to happen. He is done. And Jesus' death will punch his one-way ticket. And third, it says, Jesus will be lifted up to draw all mankind to himself. This was actually foreshadowed uh, in Jesus' early ministry. We have this back in the beginning of, in the beginning of John, John 3. Jesus, this is Jesus' words. Uh, these are Jesus' words. It says, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness... Even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, so that whoever believes in him will have eternal life. Now this is happening. Now he's saying, I'm going to be lifted up, and for the purpose of drawing all mankind to myself. 
Right? Are we getting what Jesus is saying at this point? Keep in mind, these are Gentile people that are listening to this. They're, they're in Jerusalem, and he's like, hey, guys, listen. This is not about the chosen people of God. This is about all of you. I'm going to accomplish it for all mankind. My death will create a way for all men to draw near to Jesus. By faith, by losing their life to gain it. Point on your handout if you want to fill it in. Is Jesus was lifted up so that all people could be drawn away from the power of this world and to him. Jesus was lifted up so that all people could be drawn away from the power of this world and to him. Skip down just a tad to his next statement. Says this, so Jesus said to them, for a little while longer the light is among you. Walk walk while you have the light so that the darkness will not overtake you. He who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. This is uh, an, obviously an analogy that Jesus is using concerning light. He's not talking about the sun that was out that day. Uh, he's not talking about some sort of uh, torch burning near them or something like that. He's talking about himself. Uh, and this is actually an analogy that's used multiple times uh, in John. John records a lot of, of uh, Jesus speaking about himself as the light uh, that uh, Jesus said to them, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Uh, In chapter 9, he says, while I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. This is who he is. He is the light of the world. Now, um, again, he's not, uh, it's not like he's shining somehow. This is an analogy, right? He is light. Uh, Light is, is the source in our world of sight, right? We usually have the sun out that helps us to see things. Um, if we uh, put uh, darkening material over every light source in this room, we covered up the, that entryway with all sorts of uh, room darkening stuff, um, this room would be completely uh, dark, have no light. Could we see? No, we couldn't see at that point, right? Light is the source of Sight, it is the thing that leads us to understanding. It is the, the, the thing that helps us to know where we are and where we're going, and it, it warns us of danger so we don't trip over things that are in front of us, right? Um, and when we don't have light, we can't fully see. We can't fully understand. And Jesus is saying, I am like a light. While, at least while he's in this world, which is his statement here, while I'm in the world, I am a light for you guys. So that those who came to see him, those who came to learn from him, would benefit from this spiritual light that he brought. He would help them understand, and he did help them understand um, themselves, help them understand their world, help them understand uh, God's will for their lives, help them understand how to live wisely in this world. And he does the same for us. When we read his words, he's he's giving us light, helping us understand the truth about ourselves and our world. But he's saying at this point, you know what? I'm not going to be around for long. So soak it up while you got it. Soak up the sun while it's here. here. Soak up the light while it's here. When we uh, lived in Alaska for a number of years, 
Um, Alaskan summers were awesome because the light was out for lots and lots of hours. Uh, it would be like 1 o'clock in the morning, and the sun still bright in the sky, and you're like, wow, this is really weird. But, uh, but it was really cool, and, and the way the culture worked there is during the summer, everybody was out doing all sorts of things all day, every day, because you've got the sun bright as can be. Um, you can go get a whole bunch of stuff done. You kind of feel like you have more energy um, that it's like 9 o'clock at night, and it feels like 1 o'clock in the afternoon. I mean, it's, it's weird, right? It was really, really weird. And, and so people would do that. They would be out all day. They'd be soaking up the sun as much as they possibly could because they knew that a few months later, it was all going to be darkness, right? We would only have maybe an hour or two or three of light a day. And so you got out as much as you could. And then what happened is the culture completely shifted in the winter, and everybody was in their house for most of the time, because um, this, this darkness was, was not great. And, and what's interesting is he talks about the fact that the darkness um, can consume you. It can overtake you. And that was actually a similar thing in Alaska. The, um, the highest rates of depression... Um, per capita happen in Alaska. And it's because in that wintertime, that darkness really affects you. Um, most people, not most, well, yeah, probably most people had what they called happy lights, which were these little UV lights that they had in their house that they would sit under to, to soak up some more light because it really affected moods. Um, and in the same way, Jesus is saying, soak up the light while you have it. Soak up every bit of light you can because the darkness is threatening to overtake you. Beware of that darkness because it can catch you, it can trap you, it can snatch you, it can own you. And most of us, when we read these words, we're like, yeah, been there. I've had those moments, right, when the darkness has snatched me, has gotten me. And there are those who live in darkness. There are those who have truly been overcome by the darkness. And they are lost. We call it, you know, that's a word we use for that. They're lost. Why? Because when there's no light, you can't see where you're going. You can't see what you're doing. You can't see the dangers that you're stepping right into. Verse 36, he says, while you have the light... Believe in the light so that you may become sons of light. Believe is this uh, word. I've talked about this particular word a lot. It's, it's the verb form of faith. We just don't use faith as a verb. Uh, so he's saying, while you have the light, faith in the light. Trust in the light. Entrust yourselves to the light. And did you see why? So that you can become sons and daughters of light. That he will replicate himself in us. That not only did he, uh, did he bring light by demonstrating who he is, who, uh, what he does, what he teaches, all of that brought light into the world. Now we can entrust ourselves to him and what he's done and we can become sons and daughters of light that bring that same light into this dark, dark world. We can be offspring of him. He's the light. We're the offspring of light. 
Um, this is a, a truism in, in nature that um, like kind creates like kind, right? So you have monkeys, and what do they have? Other monkeys, right? Yeah. We have birds, and those create other birds. You don't have birds that are popping out puppies, right? That's just not the way things work, right? Um, giraffes create giraffes, right? That's just the way this thing works. And if it worked any other way, it would be very, very strange, right? Same thing here. Light breeds light. We entrust ourselves to him. He will make us children of light. Those who can really make a difference in the lives of our friends and our coworkers and our family um, because we can bring light into those dark situations just like he brought light into this dark, dark world. Point on your handout, if you want to fill it in, is Jesus offers the enlightenment of who he is, what he does, and what he knows, so that we will entrust ourselves to it, and it become who we are, what we do, and what we know. Don't miss the opportunity. All right, last little bit of his words here. Jesus cried out and said, he who believes in me, who, he who faces in me, who, he who trusts in me, does not believe in me, but in him who sent me. He who sees me, sees the one who sent me. I have come as light into the world so that everyone who believes in me will not remain in darkness. Some in this time didn't understand, some in our time don't understand, that at their time they just saw a man in front of them, looked very similar to you and I, right? Just a regular old human, two arms, two legs, uh, hair, uh, fingers, toes, and, and they, they said things like, you know, I trust God, totally trust God. I just don't trust you, Jesus. Today, people say, you know what? I have faith in God, just not faith in this Jesus guy. I have a relationship with God on my own terms. And the assumption in that is that somehow we get to set our own terms, right? We get to seek God in our own way. What, 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 what kind of an assumption is that? It's like saying, I, I deal with gravity on my own terms. Uh, if I want to fly, I can fly. And then you jump off a building, and what happens? Splat, right? You don't get to make your own terms. It's not the way things work. Sure, you can decide to jump off that building, but that's not the smart play. Sure, you can decide to say, I'm going to seek God on my own terms, but that's just not the smart play. You need to seek God on his terms. And he's saying, Jesus is saying, that the, there's real reality in the fact that if we want to trust God, we must trust his son. There's no options here. We like to think there's options here. We even... We even uh, use terms like religions 
to say, you know what, they're kind of all on an on a equal playing field. Let's see which is the best one or whatever, and, right? and we, try to, we try to group them all together into something. They're, they're, this is not a thing. This is not a real thing. There's reality and there's false things, right? There are things that are real and things that aren't real. The reality is, if we want to trust God, we must trust his son. If we want to come to the Father, we have to come through the Son. That's reality. Whether we like it or not, that's reality. Whether we want it or not, that's reality. Whether we want to do things on our, our own way or not, it's reality. It's just the way things are. And Jesus has proven himself to be able to make a statement like this, to be able to say, I am from God and you need to come to the Father through me. In fact, most of what John is about, if you read John from the beginning, is about um, a demonstration that Jesus is from God, that he is God's son, proving it to us so that he can make statements like this, and we got to listen. Uh, this is just one uh, statement about this that John, John makes. Uh, but though he had performed so many signs before them, yet they were not believing in him. Jesus had just shown sign after sign after sign after sign. And by the way, sign means a sign that's pointing the arrow going, son of God. Look, son of God, son of God, son of God, son of God. He just kept showing himself to be from God and to be deity himself. He was showing it over and over and over and over again. Who honestly in the world can take someone who's never walked their whole life and just go, hey, why don't you walk? Like, who does that? We've seen too many movies to think that that's something normal. That is so unusual. So beyond anything we can imagine in life that we have to look at that and go, hey, hold up. That's showing us something. It should be showing us something. But even though he had performed many signs, they were not trusting in him. Why is that? Jesus has demonstrated himself over and over again to be the trustworthy person to entrust ourselves to. And still, there are people in this world, there might be people in this room that go, ah, yeah, okay. I'm just not going to trust myself to him. What more does he have to do for you? What more does he have to do to demonstrate who he is? We live in a, in a, a rational world a modern world in which rationalism is held up to be the, the highest form of things. And you know what? We've lived in that world for so long, and there are, have been so many well, well um, so many smart Christians, <laughs> let me put that, uh, that, that if you want rational reasons to believe in Jesus, just search them out. I got a book that's like this large that could tell you all the rational reasons why Jesus is who he said he was and did what he said he did. Because he did. But that's not your issue. Your issue is, is not that you need rationally to come to grips with it. It's that there's something going on in your heart. There's something going on in which you are unwilling to trust in the reality that you know to be real. You really do know. You know. Are you willing to trust it? They were not. Many of them were not. He had shown them plenty. The real reason why 
is not because you may have doubts. It's not because you haven't been convinced enough. It's because this is what Jesus requires of us, right? He who loves his life loses it. The real reason is you love your life. Let's just be real. That's the reason. And you know what? If you love your life that much, hold on to it. But I just you got to know you're going to lose it. Because the only thing that's going to save your life is to hate your life in this world. Is to deprioritize it and say, that's not as important as me figuring out this thing with God. Instead, I'm going to give my life to the one who gave me life. That's the answer. He finishes up here saying, if anyone hears my sayings and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. He who rejects me and does not receive my sayings has one who judges him. And the word I spoke is what will judge him on the last day. For I did not speak on my own initiative, but the Father himself who sent me has given me a commandment as to what to say and what to speak. I know that his commandment is eternal life. Therefore, the things I speak, I speak just as the Father has told me. Jesus didn't speak a word on his own authority. You can go through the Gospels and every single word Jesus ever spoke was a word that was given to him by the Father to speak. And by the way, the Father is God, right? So, so God gave him every single word. It's, it's God's authority. It's the Father's words, not his words. And so to reject Jesus' words is to reject the very words of God. To reject his light that he brought is to reject salvation, reject an opportunity to, opportunity to get out of the darkness, to reject his instructions for life, which is really what commandment means here, to reject his instructions for us is to reject eternal life. But as God has been doing since the creation of the world, we've just been talking about this recently, right? From the creation of the world, he has always given us choice. Always. He will never force himself upon any one of us, ever. That's not who he is. He has decided, you know what? I'm going to allow every individual to make a choice. And the choice is pretty simple. Choose your life in this world or choose your life in the next world. Choose life on your own terms or choose your life on his terms. Choose a life wandering around in the dark trying to figure out how to get an ounce of something out of this life or choose a life that's enlightened by his thoughts, his ways of how to live life and choose life. It's as simple as that. Point out your hand out if you want to fill it in. Is to reject Jesus' words and ideas is to reject the fundamental truths of God. And one does that at their own peril. To reject Jesus' words and ideas is to reject the fundamental truths of God. And one does that at their own peril.
So we pray for us. Lord, so thankful for the choice that you've given me, the choice that you've given us. Uh, when I think about it, I think about how easy it would have been for you just to impose your will on us. But instead, you've given us freedom of choice, and we love that. We love that as uh, Americans. We love uh, freedom. We love freedom of choice. Uh, and so we're really appreciative of, of this reality. The problem is we make bad choices sometimes because we don't want to come to terms with your truth, which is that we have to choose losing our life to gain our life. Lord, if uh, any of us are here this morning and, and have uh, maybe accepted the uh, accepted church, accepted even going to church and being a part of church, uh, maybe for our whole lives we've done this. But we've, we know in our hearts that we have not chosen to follow you. We have not chosen to be where you are. We've chosen to stay where we are, stay, where it's, where, 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 what, stay with the things that are comfortable for us. Lord, I pray that you would um, reach us this morning, that you would change our thinking, change our hearts, and at the very least, that we would all see the choice very clearly, because you laid it out pretty clearly. And if we choose this life, that we accept that as our, as our fate that we'll lose it. Lord, I pray that every single one of us chooses to be where you are. It's so good. Pray this all in your name.